if I were to send drag queens to Nebraska, I would hope to see a lot of women get a lot of updos, and that's exactly what happens, and it's so satisfying. Welcome to another episode of Replaying Favorites. It's the show where Brie and I try not to actively harm each other with film choices. I'm Chris Kelly. I'm Brie Callahan. And this week is hopefully not an act of aggression. We're going to be watching Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, the 1995 comedy about men in drag. I won't say more than that because I want to know, Brie, what do you recall about the plot of this film? So I definitely saw this movie back in the day, not when it came out, because I wasn't like allowed to watch R-rated films, <laughs> which is its own thing. It's fine. Um, but I definitely watched this in college. So I probably haven't seen this movie for about 15, 20 years. I remember nothing about the plot except for that there is a Cadillac and three guys in drag who I think we all love. And I remember it being kind of heartwarming but I get the feeling that there's like some bad stuff that happens in the middle, kind of like Thelma and Louise, and then maybe it works out better than Thelma and Louise. There was kind of a like <laughs> dark road trip vibe that happened a lot in the mid 90s. And I can't remember if this one winds up on the light side or the dark side, but I think it's the light side. I am envisioning a version of this movie where three drag queens drive off a cliff into a canyon and it's really dark. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I think it winds up on the on the light side. I mean, almost every movie is lighter than Thelma and Louise in the end. That's true. The movie is actually really dark. I, I guess what I'm trying to hint at is I feel like someone might get raped. Oh, I do you want me to tell you whether that happens? Uh, yeah, in the same way that like with uh, A Few Good Men, I was able to disabuse you of the fact that you thought it was about sexual assault. If that does not happen, I would love to know in advance. Yeah, it does not happen. There's a brief scare, but everyone okay. escapes just fine. There is no physical assault. Okay, so the light side then. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie about cross-dressers driving through middle America, so yeah. the threat of violence is almost constant. Yeah, I guess that's what I mean, is that like I definitely remember the feeling of potentially imminent violence and I couldn't remember if it like ever came to fruition. So I'm actually like deeply relieved to know that that doesn't actually happen. <laughs> so none of our three main characters is assaulted. There is an instance of spousal abuse. Okay. I'm sure I will be upset by that when it occurs, but I'm more oriented towards like the three main leads, especially in a precarious position, like being three drag queens in mid 1990s America. I don't think it's that spoilery to say that, like, everyone's happier at the end than they were at the beginning. That seems like how these movies go. I let us down a really dark path very early in the episode, so let's try to lighten the mood a little bit. I feel like the other sort of more direct comparison is perhaps to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which I'm not sure if the makers of Tu Wong Fu were aware of the presence of Priscilla when they were writing and or doing anything with her movie. They seem to have sort of arisen independently. They do seem to be one of those parallel thinking instances where mm -hmm. two people had the same idea. There are comparisons to be made, and we could probably do a whole separate podcast talking about the two movies as they relate to each other. Mm. I think they get different things right and wrong. And also, the 90s had a very different relationship to gender identity than we do today. And I think that's 
something we'll cover in the discussion. And I think also the United States and Australia have very different relationships to gender identity. So I think that is probably also part of it. It's notable that Priscilla does have a character who identifies as transgender. Yeah. Which none of the two Wong Fu characters do, Mm. though whether the script understands that distinction is something we can explore. Okay. But I'm excited to watch it again. This is going to be a good one. I I can like I loved it at the time and I'm really excited to watch it again. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I try so hard lately not to horrify you with the choices <laughs> after we had a real bad patch there for a second. <laughs> that ended just 2 weeks ago with the Christmas Prince. <laughs> Everyone, you are listening to the bridge being built, the friendship being strengthened. We will not harm each other anymore, at least in the near future. I promise. Mommy and daddy are no longer fighting. Am I mommy or are you mommy? Because, like, I get the feeling he might be more maternal. I would love for everyone to tweet at us with your understanding of our parental roles. Maybe one of us is a drunk uncle. Maybe one of us is a weird cousin. How are we related to you? And on that note, (laughs) we're going to head to break. Well, bye. Welcome back. It's time to talk about 1995's Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Let's dive in with some facts about this film. It was directed by Bieben Kidron and written by Douglas Carter Bean. It stars Patrick Swayze as Vita Boehm, Wesley Snipes as Noxima Jackson, John Leguizamo as Chichi Rodriguez, Stockard Channing as Carol Ann, Chris Penn as possibly dead Sheriff Dullard, also Blythe Danner, Arliss Howard, Beth Grant, Alice Drummond, Michael Vartan, RuPaul, and many more. It is the story of... Three drag queens driving from New York to L.A. who end up on the run from local police and stranded in the small town of Snydersville. Over the ensuing weekend, they transform the town and each other for the better. It was number one at the box office in the United States for its first two weeks in the theater. Patrick Swayze and John Leguizamo were both nominated for Golden Globes. Oh, I did not know that they were nominated for awards. Yeah, this movie was a big deal when it came out Mm -hmm. and before it came out. These were roles that were sought after by big Hollywood actors. In particular, the Vita role saw a lot of big names fought hard to get it. Before we get into his performance, I want to just generally ask you, because this is, I think, your second time seeing this movie. Mm -hmm. How did you experience Tu Wong Fu the second time? I gotta tell you, I did not remember this movie at all. I didn't realize how much this was like Doc Hollywood, but gay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that classic American story, like getting stuck in a small town and then they get a little changed for the better and the town gets a little bit changed for the better. This is a good movie. I really loved it. I think Swayze is amazing in it. I think he's just a standout. And I'll say this. I loved it when I watched it, and I've had a couple of days to reflect, and I have more notes now than I did when I watched it. I think that's very fair. This is a movie that is best when you can just enjoy it going down easy and not think too much about the logic of it. Yeah. Nothing about it makes logical sense, but it's just this beautiful, bouncy, frilly cocktail of fun. It's Mm -hmm. lighthearted and funny and silly 
and its heart is absolutely in the right place, even when it doesn't connect on a logical level. So it's just, it's fun to watch. Yeah, it's definitely fun to watch. And it's, you know, it really wears its heart on its sleeve, even while the background of it is a ton of menace. An appropriate amount, I think, for 1995, three drag queens traversing the United States. But like, there's so much threat for the three of them. And yet it still stays bouncy and light even though there's a lot of domestic violence and racism and homophobia and all the other bad things. Like, it's just a really fun film. I remember the second time that I watched it, realizing that literally almost every scene has either the presence or a very real threat of violence. Like, these characters are constantly yeah. worried for their safety in a way that, like you said, reads true for three gender non-conforming people and an abused housewife in small towns. Like, this is exactly how their lives would be, but, like, they manage to mine comedy out of everything without erasing the fact that, yes, we're all afraid. I think this movie is designed to bring gender non-conforming people and drag queens and queerness and gayness to like a white mainstream middle America audience. And I wonder if an easy analog for people to understand the kind of threat that those kind of people go through is giving an analog to a battered wife, right? Like something that a lot of people in middle America would be familiar with. Yeah, I think it's notable that this was written by a gay man. And I think in 1995, he would have been very aware of the need to mainstream this story. And I think that's a smart observation that Carol Ann is not there just because she can be saved and we can make the drag queens valorous, but also mm -hmm. because the audience might be able to relate to her more than they could relate to Patrick Swayze's character. And relating to that, like, constant sense of low-level threat of, like, you never know when the bad thing is going to strike, and there's nothing that you can do to prevent it. Yeah. Because you're just who you are, and the person who hates you doesn't care about who you are or what you're doing. They just want to enact violence upon you. And so I think those two things, like, really go together, because it was also directed by a woman, right? Yes. Yeah. So that was sort of a through line for me, though it is something that I thought about maybe later more than as I was watching it. I feel like we're already very serious about this movie, whereas like the movie wants to be very light and happy. And I think like we are adding more elements of seriousness into it that I think the movie actually begs for further reflection on, but doesn't actually give you in the film. So I'll defer to like kind of how you want to structure the episode in terms of like talking through the issues because I think that there are some serious issues but like it's mostly a fun rompy ride. Yeah so let's start with some more fluff because certainly the movie begins with fluff like the first shot we get which is notably our only shot of our leads out of drag mm -hmm. is Patrick Swayze emerging from the shower in just the tiniest towel <laughs> just to establish that he's still like a beefy sex symbol. Mm -hmm. And the same with Wesley Snipes. We get like one shot of him looking muscular. Right. I, he looks muscular throughout the movie, but like one shot of him looking masculine. Yeah. And then immediately we dive into the montage of them getting ready. Mm hmm. The movie, as much as it wants to describe drag queens as gay men in dresses, 
often has a really hard time with the nuance of gender identity. Mm-hmm. But this opening scene is a really great establishment of these are gay men putting on costumes and you get to physically see that in a way that's really satisfying. It's one of the best portrayals I've seen of people getting into drag. Like it feels very loving and very lived in. I think that you would not get that from a straight writer. It's a very beautiful scene of just these quiet moments before this kind of like mad cat movie kicks off. And it feels very practiced. My kind of reference point for this was Tootsie, which is that Mm. like while Dustin Hoffman always just looked like, and I put on a wig and a dress, like that is not how this movie feels. Like there's a level of familiarity and glamour that I really responded to in a way that I did not with Tootsie. And I realized those are two different things. Like these are gay men and drag or proposed gay men and drag. And Tootsie was a man dressing as a woman for a particular purpose. But this had much more of what I experienced as like people who are going about their everyday lives. And this is part of their everyday life. Yeah. I also like that they look like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah. Wesley Snipes especially is like giggling and like rolling around on his bed and being (laughs) ridiculous. And like, there's a moment where Patrick Swayze is like looking in the mirror and sort of swaying and you can see him like shifting his physicality because he's like, oh, I'm becoming her now. Like you see all of that developing and you you can see how much they love doing this. It rings very true as someone who has done a lot of drag. Like the process of getting into drag is a fun transformation. Mm -hmm. It is wild to me that Patrick Swayze was not attached to this film from the beginning. My understanding is that Snipe signed on first and then they got Leguizamo for whom Chi Chi was written. And then, Mm -hmm. like we said, uh, Swayze had to fight for the part. Swayze is so dancerly and so perfectly built. He also like just has like you can beefcake him up, but he does also just kind of have the lines on his face that like suggest a femininity in a way that the other two for me don't. And he just goes so perfectly into this role. I cannot believe that he was not who the film was based around. He does an amazing job. You've probably read the story, but I'll share it with the listeners who might not have, which is that to get the role, Patrick Swayze requested to meet with Beban Kidron, the director, and he volunteered. He got in full drag and said, we are going to walk around New York together so that I can show you that I can pass as a woman. I don't know if people really thought that he was passable as a woman. And also, that's maybe not necessarily the point of drag. And we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that there was something so compelling to the director about seeing him done up. And like you said, he has a dance background. He has a really regal and live and elegant body language that yes. must have been so like irresistible to watch in person. Like, of course, you'd cast him after seeing him walk around like that. Like his presence is very commanding in an old Hollywood way. Yeah. I'm not like a big file. I don't know if that's a word. But this is the most compelling role I've ever seen him in. You cannot take your eyes off him. And he gives an old Hollywood glamour and just star quality to this entire role. I know drag queens do a lot of different things but dance. But also being a good dancer is really important. And I gotta tell you, I like John Leguizamo a lot. But fucking hell, he sucks as a dancer. Like that initial scene, he's just like, 
boop, bloop, bloop, bloop. Like, and then you see Swayze come out and he just has that command of his body mm. because you're always playing a role, right? And he just has that in spades. And in a way that while I think the other two are good, his performance is just kind of unbelievable to me that he was not the initial choice for this role. I mean, I imagine that there are a lot of really amazing audition tapes out there. Oh, I bet. Everyone you've heard of in Hollywood was considered for this. But my commentary, which I think is more of a script issue than a performance issue, is that Noxima Jackson is very clearly a drag queen. Mm -hmm. She is a gay man yes. dressed as a woman. I think if this movie were made today, Vita Boehm is very obviously a trans woman. Yeah, I think that's right. He talks about wanting to have I love you said to that name, which mm -hmm. is not something that a drag queen cares about. Right. But his performance is very much trying to exude womanhood in a real way. And it's funny that you mentioned his face having a quality like that, because I actually think he has a pretty butch looking face, but he manages to transcend it by having a feminine facial expression almost, or a feminine body posture, because I don't think he looks like a woman at all in this movie. I think he looks so butch, but mm. he's just disappearing into this physicality that you can't argue with. He's got a butch build, but I do think there is something about his cheekbones and some other parts of his face that to me, as a straight woman who likes a kind of femmy looking guy, that I found more appealing in this film, I think, because they were highlighted, mm. if that makes sense. So I think they exist for him. But I think that it required a movie like this to really kind of like bring those aspects of his face and his kind of physicality out. One of the questions I have, and maybe this isn't the time to get into it, but is, do you have any thoughts as a drag performer and as a gay man yourself about three straight men portraying these roles? I think that that is definitely a product of the time. And also, it was very much a product of studios wanting to capitalize on stunt casting. I mean, the, the trailer for this movie was all about how Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes were action stars and big, butch, manly figures. And the contrast between their public personas up to this point and the roles they were asked to play hmm. was used to lure audiences in. And while I would have loved to have seen actual gay men or drag queens in these roles, I can't argue with any of their performances because I think all three of them do pretty exemplary work. Yeah, I think they're really great. We've obviously given a lot of time to talking about Patrick Swayze. I also think Wesley Snipes does a great job here. And I was surprised to find out that he was like the first attached to the film because like, obviously, I think Swayze had done a lot of action movies and stuff, but he'd also been in like Dirty Dancing and like some other things that were not like macho, macho man stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas to me, Wesley Snipes is like the ultimate version of like the modern American action star. And so the idea that he was just like, yeah, sign me up is like pretty great. Every time I watch this, I like Wesley Snipes' performance more. He's very I good. I think especially having done so much drag and having worked with so many drag queens, a counterpoint to Patrick Swayze playing a woman, Wesley Snipes is playing a gay man. Like a hundred percent. He is the queeniest, limp-wristiest gay man I have ever seen. And <laughs> it is so 
opposite from everything he's ever done before, that that is as big a transformation for sure. I bought every millisecond of what he was selling. Yeah, I I completely agree. The thing that I think is nice is at the very end of the film, one of my favorite lines is Chi-Chi, John Leguizamo's character, saying, and I'm going to commit to buying a shade of makeup that's closer to my skin tone, (laughs) which kind of highlights the the falsity that they have for Chi-Chi, who I think is the least successful in terms of the transformation into a drag queen. But I think that's also by design because like she's supposed to be a much younger drag queen and she kind of like doesn't have it all together yet. And that's kind of the conceit of the film. But Mm -hmm. if you just gave me a movie of Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes driving across America, I would have watched all of it. John Logazamo's character is nice and also there. But I really think the core and the heart of the movie is between those like two older experienced drag queens like doing their thing yeah i mean i don't want to give john leguizamo short shrift i think he's very funny in this movie Mm -hmm. and apparently he improvised a lot of his lines actually to the point that his co-stars got mad at him (laughs) because he kept screwing with the script and they wanted him to stay on but like he has a lot of funny lines i die every time he's like i gotta go i got cramps and like (laughs) john leguizamo is incredibly charismatic he knows how to get a laugh. It's funny for me because the role that I associate him the most with is Tybalt in the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet. And like, so his drama in that is very high, but he's not funny at all. (laughs) And so I like seeing him in this role where he gets to like relax a little bit more. Like he's obviously got like the motor mouth thing going in spades. I like Chi Chi. I don't know. For me, the dancing was actually a problem. Like, I just wanted the realism of, like, the fact that, like, Chi-Chi isn't that good at being a drag queen. And I was a little bummed out at the very end of the movie when, like, she was drag queen of the year. And I was like, girl, you are not. (laughs) She shouldn't even be eligible to compete. She didn't win the preliminaries. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so for me, there was just, like, a plain logic problem of the movie that I, like, didn't relate to. But that's neither here nor there. Well, that brings me to, not to discuss the end of the beginning, but that ending was reshot. Oh, okay. It felt very tacked on. They've never released what the original ending was. I assume that in the original ending, Chi-Chi did not win the pageant. Again, it puts the emotion over the logic, which all of this movie does. It just, it wasn't necessary, like... What probably should have happened is that they all went out there and none of them won. It just felt like a way that they could get Julie Newmar actually into the film and couldn't think of another way around it. I would have just like ended with them driving off like their job has been done. They saved the straight norms town. I mean, it's funny you say that. I have a friend who saw this movie in the theater and... After the car drove off at the end of the Snydersville section, she just got up and left the theater. She didn't realize there was more film. You know, it fades to black. She was like, well, that was a great movie. And out she goes. (laughs) I mean, that is the end of the film. The rest of it just feels tacked on. So since we're discussing plot, we should probably get into the plot of this movie, which we have not discussed at all. 30 minutes in. (laughs) (laughs) So we begin with the initial pageant in New York that Vita Boehm and Nagzima Jackson win concurrently. I love this pageant because of all the real drag queens that are there. Mm -hmm. Like you've got Coco Peru, you've got Joey Arias, you've got Lady Bunny, you have RuPaul play. (laughs) I think my favorite joke in the movie is that RuPaul is named Rachel Tension. (laughs) 
and is wearing a full body Confederate flag gown. It is so funny every time. It's audacious and I can't believe it, but I never don't laugh at that moment. It's extremely funny. It is, I think, perhaps the one thing if you remade this movie that would not make it in. And that would be a real shame because it's a fucking funny joke. It's true. And it's so audacious. Like, I love that it's in there. Also, can we just say RuPaul has not aged and I'm so irritated about it. That movie was from 1995. (laughs) But yeah, the pageant, I think, sets the tone for the movie of going for feeling over realism. Like, Mm -hmm. there literally isn't any pageant. All the drag queens walk on the stage and then we just announce the winner. That's the end. Yeah, there are elements of this movie at times that if you told me had been written by a straight man, I would have believed you or maybe that's like studio interference because like, that's not what drag queens do. (laughs) To get an overall thesis statement of this movie, I think it's important to view it as a fantasy because the script does explicitly lay out the difference between someone who is transgender and someone who's a drag queen. Mm -hmm. They just don't portray a realistic drag experience in the movie because, again, our leads are never out of drag again. Yeah. And to your point earlier about Swayze's character being a trans woman is that, like, one of the most egregious things that Chi-Chi does in the movie, and granted, it's after she's called a racial epithet, Um, is that she takes Swayze's wig and, like, the exposure of Vita as a man is, like, treated in the movie, and I think rightly, as, like, a real betrayal. But, like, I know some drag queens. I'm looking at you right now. You're not in drag. There's a fantasy element where, I mean, the fact that these three angelic beings descend upon a small town and save it in a weekend establishes them as supernatural, even to the point, I mean, Stocker Channing has a line at the end of I think of you as an angel. And I think that is essentially, you know, the next scene that we see is these three drag queens shopping for a car in full drag, which would never happen. You, I mean, you would never drive across the country in full drag for damn sure, but you wouldn't shop for a car in drag. You'd just be a a man out on the car lot. It is the fantasy we're selling that it's fun to watch drag queens in drag. So we're just going to stick with that whether or not it makes a lick of sense. I definitely was aware of how much work this seemed like in the same way that we talked about Tootsie, where Dustin Hoffman's character had to bring like eight different outfits. I know this is being written sort of for a mainstream audience and to like help understand like the concept of drag and queerness and gayness and transness. But it did kind of like lead to a situation in which I think a lot of middle America might think that if you are a drag queen, you are constantly dressed as a woman. And that seems exhausting. <laughs> and not just as a woman, but like as a fully made up wig and, and everything like as drag queen. Yeah. For those of you who are unaware, it is minimum two hours to get into drag. And there's a time limit for how long you can be in there. Like, The luggage is stowed in the overhead compartment. It's a difficult time and you're going to want to get out of it as soon as possible, which is funny because the actors themselves were very uncomfortable throughout filming and realized pretty quickly. They're like, oh, I fucking hate being in drag. And I'm like, yeah, 
welcome to the club. It's terrible. Yeah, that's why it's work. <laughs> the idea that this like 72 hour road trip takes place entirely in drag is phenomenally inaccurate. You would just fucking never. I also, at the very beginning of the movie, as uh, Naxima and Vita are getting into drag, they were also putting on thigh highs, and I was just like, mm -mm. like, girls, that ain't it. Like, I gotta tell you, I don't know who the fuck is out there wearing thigh highs, but it's no one. Oh, no, no. You have minimum three pairs of full stockings, like dancer tights. My other critique with them getting ready is that I know I talk about lashes all the fucking time on this podcast, <laughs> but Wesley Snipes has his lashes on way too early. That's the last step. You would never put more makeup on after your lashes. Powder after lashes? Never in a million years. I was horrified. That's for one listener and one listener alone. And it's you. <laughs> so we establish that Vita and Noxima are going to take Chi-Chi under their wings and coach her through the world of drag by taking her on a road trip across the country. The plot for this movie is perhaps the one we've watched that is the most that if they just took a separate action, none of this would have occurred. If Vita did not adopt a random drag queen who she had no reason to like or want to bring with them, they could have just gotten on their plane and gone straight to LA. In the real world, Vita would be like, listen, when I get back from this pageant, you and I are going to work together. It would never be come with me. Like, again, Chi Chi is not eligible to compete in the pageant in L.A. So, like, we'll see you when that's done, girl. Because, again, in theory, there are no side trips or diversions or anything. So it is much more useful, actually, for them to be like, why don't you have a nice weekend and we'll see you on Tuesday? Well, the other question is... What is the date of the pageant? Because there is apparently no rush for them to get to L.A. and they are driving for a week. <sighs> OK, maybe this is the right time to talk about this. Where the fuck is Snydersville? It is never established. OK, because it feels to me like they don't get much out of the East Coast. Like it's, it feels to me like it's in Pennsylvania or Ohio or something, right? It seems like they are on maybe their second day of driving, but they couldn't be further than Chicago. There's just no way. So I have read a few things that said that like the people who made this movie like knew about Priscilla or like something, 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 but it like wasn't really a part of it. That to me beggars a little bit of belief because this town, Snydersville, I cannot tell you how much it reads Outback Australia. It does not read anything like the Midwest of America or like Appalachia or anything else. It does not read East Coast. It reads either extremely like ghost town, Western America, or more specifically like Outback Australia. Yeah, it apparently is in Nebraska. It seems unlikely that they actually drove that far, though... All timing in this movie makes no sense. I think this is an appropriate time to point out that they are in Snydersville for 48 hours. Not even. I think it's 36. Like, part of it is sleeping. Like, they arrive at night, and then they're, like, gone Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it's a real tight time frame for so much to happen. Can we talk about the town? Before we get to Snydersville... The antagonist of the movie is Sheriff Dollard, played by Chris Penn, who 
attempts to sexually assault Vita and who they believe they have killed because Vita pushes him, which I have to assume <laughs> is like an edit they made where she might have punched him and they cut it or something because no one, not even the dumbest drag queen that I know, believes that that man is dead. <laughs> the introduction of Sheriff Dullard is very funny. I was, as were the characters, expecting homophobia. I was really surprised to get racism in exchange. That was not where I thought that interaction was going. Oh, super overt racism, which, to be fair, he is a small town cop or just a cop in general. But they really just lean right into it. And I was like, oh, Okay, no beating around the bush here. I mean, the whole movie a little bit leans into it. I would argue that there is way too much anti-Latinx like descriptions by both Naxima and by Vita. I mean, it culminates in like her using a literal racial epithet at her. But like they are constantly just like, oh, here's some descriptor of you and also a descriptor about your race, which is like not what happens to Naxima, which... I'm happy about, but also like, let's lay off the Latins as well. It's funny because I think that that might actually stem from how drag queens who are friends with each other talk to each other. I think there is like a real reading culture in the same way that if you had like a celebrity roast, you just would lean into stuff like that. The combination of drag queens being horrible, rotted people and the 90s being a more racist time, I think you would probably find a lot of drag queens in the 90s who talked to each other exactly like this. But I do agree that it really feels off in this script. And they're also not friends with Chi Chi in the same way. The real bad guy, of course, is not any of the drag queens, but is in fact the horrible sheriff who gets exactly what he deserves in every single way, including an up to murder. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to point out that this is why I thought of Thelma and Louise, because there is an attempted sexual assault that ends in what they perceive as a murder, and therefore they are on the run, which is basically the plot of Thelma and Louise. This one just ends with like a happy fade to black as opposed to like an unhappy drive off into a canyon. I do think that is one of the smartest parts of this script is that there is a real heaviness after they leave Sheriff Dullard. There is a tension, the music is dramatic, and they pull into a rest stop and they change clothes and then everyone is fine. And the movie does do good work in terms of showing that Sheriff Dullard, I'm just going to call him that, I know that's not his name, but it's a funny reoccurring joke, that he's not very good at being a cop. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in the movie is where he's, doing a checkpoint and pulling everyone over. And I thought he was trying to show everyone the drawing of Patrick Swayze to see if they'd seen him. But instead, he was just comparing like an Asian lady against Patrick Swayze and being like, not him. <laughs> there is only one person in this movie who knows what Vita looks like, and it's him. I want to give Chris Penn, uh, rest in peace, so much credit for his performance in this movie. He is start to finish hilarious. He's a very good knit. He gives a monologue at the bar that is <gasps> outrageously funny. I would watch that a million times. It is the 
best part of this movie without question. It is so good every time. I also really like the list he makes of places to go look for gay people. (laughs) Um, The fact that flight attendants lounges is spelled wrong is also very funny. They've done a lot of good work for him. While there is a persistent level of threat, to your point about them coming out in new clothes so everything's fine, it is kept light and he's so dumb and bad that it it gives the audience, especially maybe for anyone who's queer watching it, like that little ability to relax, which I think you need in order to have this be a comedy. So we move on. We leave Sheriff Dullard. We change our clothes. We get to Snydersville. And every part of this town to me is painted so specifically. I think every actor here is giving like a top of their game performance because they're all really shallow characters in some ways like Mm -hmm. everyone has to have one thing about them but all the actors imbue them with so much life and charm like as much as the drag queens feel trapped here you want to spend more time with the snydersville characters do you i take it you do not i wanted to leave as soon as i got there (laughs) i'm guessing that the idea is that like anyone who can have left this town has left however It is really destabilizing to have this many young, unencumbered, jobless young men who have no qualms about just raping the first woman who comes into town. Like, that's a problem, and no one seems to address that. In fact, they then have a whole fashion show for the rapey young boys rather than talking to them about the issues. I don't know. Like... Usually when you have these sort of like outback towns, they're like a little weird, but everyone's kind of like paired off and like the the town as a whole makes sense. The town here did not make sense. Like it's not sustainable from a population perspective and it's certainly not sustainable from like any kind of a social perspective. Oh no, every character who exists here exists as one problem that a drag queen can solve. This is the Troop Beverly Hills model of you have one personality trait and I'm going to dive in and assist. That's it. It seems like no one in the town has spoken to each other. Like, Jason London is completely separate in both substance and style from all the other young men in his town. Stockard Channing is completely alone and has no friends, despite the fact that there are other women of her age. It just doesn't seem like these people actually live in a close community together because none of them actually seem to know a lot about each other, whereas that is the opposite that usually happens in these, like, you know, big city kids go to small town America things, whereas, like, usually the town is, like, very gossipy and, like, up in each other's business, whereas these people are just like, oh, we don't know about the six marauding men who just wander around raping anyone who comes within striking distance. I mean, we do have Blythe Danner as the town gossip who, for exposition reasons, gets to introduce everyone who walks by. And god damn it, Blythe Danner is wonderful in this. She's so great in the role. She's perfect in it. I love every single word that comes out of her mouth. To be honest, much more so than Stockard Channing, who based on other roles that she's done, I always feel like can kind of handle herself. So like, 
Sucker Channing getting to like stand on her own two feet at the end of the movie didn't feel like as much of a triumph for me as Blythe Danner's character finally getting to dance with the man that she's like always wanted to have sex with for like the last 23 years. I was like, you guys, why did it take 23 years for you guys to realize that you liked each other? It really gave me some joy. Yeah, it feels really satisfying when you get to see them dance together. You just want it to happen. You know from the get-go that they like each other and they just haven't like gotten it together, whereas everyone else is fixed by very dramatic solutions to the problems like being grabbed by the penis and told to put on a clean shirt. I think that's why that relationship just felt a little bit more grounded, whereas the rest is sort of a flight of fantasy. It's hinted when she first introduces his character, that the explicit reason that she's not pursuing him is because of a general sense of racism in the town. They never make the explicit connection that, like, the town warming to Noxima is part of the reason that it becomes more okay for her to pursue him. But I think that that's a subtext. Oh, that's kind of awful. I mean... Bless his heart. Like, he's been living in that town for 23 years, apparently, as the only person of color. And, like, the others are apparently wild as hell. And so, like, (laughs) I mean, imagine what his life is like. I mean, he should just be like, if anyone should get in the car at the end of the movie, it should be him. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm I'm solving the ends of movies problems again. We should talk about Stockard Channing and her performance. Uh. I feel bad for her as an actor because in a movie full of light comedy she has to do a lot of heavy dramatic lifting and she Mm -hmm. does it but she is excluded from most of the fun this is the one part of the story that i wish had like a little bit more grounding where she felt like a little bit more of a real person because it just feels like vita isn't actually like solving any problems because the problem is so outlandish like Mm -hmm. and it also doesn't really ring true that he would just be like oh well the drag queens are on their way i guess i'll leave as well like he he would like reestablish himself in the town because he's their main mechanic as well so like there's that and there's that also yeah his exit from the story is really unsatisfying especially because there is no scripted interaction like they very clearly realized that the script doesn't cover that and so there's a silent moment where Stockard Channing just stares him down. But yeah, like, she just like puts her hands on her hips and that's it. That's not how but, that works. But I feel like that was the director understanding that no one had written any lines for them to say to each other about how like, <laughs> hey, I know we have what, four, five daughters together. Like there's <laughs> there should we should probably figure out how to dissolve our marriage. There's just nothing. They literally have no words. Yeah, like, it would have been something if she had, like, you know, I own this house, you know, if she had something that she could base her confrontation with him on, but instead it was just, like, a whole bunch of gumption, and once the big dude in a dress who beat your husband's ass goes away, she's in for it. It would have been nice if there was another support system set up for her before everyone left. I mean, we get the sense that the town is rallying around each other in a way that they haven't before, but it's not explicit. You have to sort of trust it. So pretty much everything that happens in Snydersville is a series of makeover montages. Mm -hmm. And the first one that I think tells you how to read it is their makeover of their own bedroom, 
which is very explicitly magical. It's to show you that drag queens are, in this world, not corporeal, earthbound creatures, but something else. Again, I think the the thing that's important is that the whole movie is sending you the vibes of like, this is going to work out okay. Like, don't worry. And that makes Virgil's beating of Stockard Channing's character, like, more manageable. It makes the threat of Sheriff Dullard more manageable. Drag queens are magic. Therefore, they will fix everything that needs to be fixed and then keep it moving. And we get to move on from that to a makeover of all of the women in the town, which is so much fun. I think the heart of the makeover scene is actually brilliant character actress Beth Grant. When they turn her around to the mirror Mm -hmm. and she looks up and she sees herself and she has this real slow smile wash over her and you can see her take in like, I look really beautiful. And there's something about that specific moment in the movie that always lands with me really hard. Like, she feels great about herself. And she gets the experience of other people being like, you're pretty. Mm -hmm. You are pretty right now, and I want you to take that in. There's not a ton of movies that do the sort of, like, reformation of the small town that have multiple characters. Usually it's like a single kind of Doc Hollywood character who, like, interacts with everybody. But what I like about this movie a lot is that they specifically split up and like Noxima pretty much only interacts with the with the elder lady. Chi Chi only interacts with like the London brother and Vita pretty much only interacts with Stockard Channing. And they develop their individual relationships with these people that like work as good analogs for them. And each of those relationships is extremely special. While I think the movie thinks that the really important relationship is between Vita and Stalker Channing's character, my heart and every piece of my soul is between Noxima and the old lady that she's friends with. I love the two of them. I don't think I've ever seen Wesley Snipes be more delightful than when he is just fully giving a monologue about like various old timey stars and expecting nothing back. Like it is a stellar performance. And if it were me, I would put that in his all-time clip reel. Like, I think his performance with her is so good. Again, like, Wesley Snipes was the one of these people who was not nominated for any awards, which shocks me because I think that he nails the specific type of a gay man who is obsessed with old actresses. Like, I know this queen. (laughs) I think also... Wesley Snipes has a heavy lift in that his scene partner is mostly silent. He has to carry those scenes on his own. And the little things like, did you just pull a Yui? And like, when he says, I don't find this funny anymore, I laugh every time because he, again, he's just like chasing a silent, small old woman and desperately trying to get her to talk. And you can feel him like, all right, I guess I'll carry the whole conversation again. And like, you just love him in those scenes. And you know, there's so many people who in their whole movie careers only get to do the same thing over and over and over again. I guess I wonder how much this like rests in in Wesley Snipes' heart as like a really great thing that he got to do because I think it was really brilliant and I'm really glad that he got to do it. Yeah, it's funny. I know that the actor's felt ultimately very 
bad about their costumes specifically. Like, it is a storied tale that they all got together and, like, burned part of their costume together because they hated the physical feeling of it. I don't know that they necessarily felt bad about the experience overall, but I definitely understand the inclination to throw all of your drag into the pits of Mordor because (laughs) it doesn't feel nice. I guess I'm glad that those three straight men got to experience A, what being a drag queen is like, but also B, what like women's clothes are like, because most of them, they're not so comfy. I noticed this time watching through... So Jennifer Milmore plays Bobby Lee, the eldest daughter in Stockard Channing's household. And I never, like, I know that she's a big part of the plot, but I never really noticed her before. Her performance is actually phenomenal. She just gets the winsome, eager, uncertain, small-town daughter right. And I just loved her this time through specifically. It's a good role. I do love after her makeover when she's in the dress and she's got her back to Jason London. She's just like, she has all of these absolutely bananas lines that aren't actually how you would speak to anyone. She's clearly just been like made into a drag queen. The idea that they're like, you should imitate Anne Baxter in Cleopatra, which is like Mm -hmm. not what Jason London, I think, is going for. And so, yeah, it feels hilarious when she's like, oh, Bobby Ray, Bobby Ray, Bobby Ray. And it's (laughs) so, so false. And he also reacts exactly as though it is false. He like giggles. He's like, oh, wow, she's like really going for it here. But he's charmed that she's trying. I have to say it. It's a good performance also from Jason London, who is tasked with being the most bland boy of all time. As, as to be fair, the London boys are asked to be almost all the time. And he does a good job, though, of just leaning into her transformation. And that's very charming. It is a little bit of a heel turn that he's been like, Oliver Chichi. Again, a reoccurring theme on this podcast is like men falling in love with women that they have spoken with once and have seen from afar. He painted graffiti onto a sign for Chi Chi. He, how did they, had they interacted at all? No, he just seen her and thought she was cute. Yeah, the literal timeline for that <laughs> is that he drives her to Snydersville, yeah. wakes up early the next morning to go paint that billboard, yeah. comes back just in time to save her from the group of marauding men, drives her out to the billboard and is like, by the way, I love you, person that I just met. Yeah, that's like about 11 a.m. the next day. (laughs) And she's all in. She's like, I am moving to Snydersville. Okay, so I do have one question, which again, I feel like is going to make the movie better. So the sheriff gives his incredible monologue, and then Virgil winds up at the bar with him, and the two of them have a talk, and then what happens? The two of them... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are you are you suggesting that Virgil fucks the sheriff? Yeah, I think I am. So <laughs> the two of them meet in the bar definitely in the evening, but then they don't arrive into town until about midday the next day. So I'm just saying they have a lot of hours to kill and <laughs> they don't seem to kill them with anyone else. You know, I it had legitimate I have seen this movie I would say conservatively 10 times that has never dawned on me, but I'm not mad at it. Because Virgil seems in a much better mood in the morning. (laughs) 
I think the best case scenario for those two characters is that they drive off into the sunset together. Or they just fuck in the town and it's fine because, you know, the point of this movie is that the drag queens make everyone's lives better. So, like, if it doesn't make the sheriff and Virgil's lives better, then what have we done here? All right. So the new canonical ending for this movie is that Sheriff Dullard and Virgil live happily ever after. Wait, before we get there, can we talk about Stalker Channing's last line? Please. I don't see you as a man. I don't see you as a woman. I just see you as an angel. Thoughts? It's tough because I think this script is confused in a lot of ways about Vita's gender. And some of that is just the fact that this was made in 1995. I think part of the issue with it is that she has just come off of the perfect addressing of it, which is that she says, I think of you as a lady friend who happens yeah. to have an Adam's apple, which is yes. a really beautiful way to address exactly that. Yeah, because they've just had this very nuanced discussion where she's like, I noticed you had an Adam's apple. And Patrick Swayze, like, or uh, Vita is like, oh, my God, like, we got to talk about this. And she's like, no, we don't. Mm -hmm. And that's perfect. And then they like just tack on this like, it feels like it was trying to soar for some sort of like late 90s, like point, and it just missed it. The actual point is before that was just, just like, I love you for who you are. Like, I don't need to like have a big declaration about like your gender. Yeah. And especially because, and again, this is how Vita identifies would change in 2020. But in 2020, we would see Vita as a trans woman. And mm -hmm. so being accepted specifically as a woman would be more important. I think in 1995, yeah. they didn't really get all the way there yet. And so Stocker Channing's lines about that maybe didn't feel as important as we would see them now. Like, I think the value of being addressed by your correct pronouns wasn't mm -hmm. appreciated when this was made. It felt like a piece of writing that didn't need to exist. They just should have waved. <laughs> I was just a little disappointed that it left a, a little bit on that clunky note when I felt like they had dealt with the business of that scene several minutes ago, and they just should have been like, I'm going to miss you so much and I love you. Goodbye. I'm trying to f find reasons why I'm finding fault with this movie that I think is like very joyful. And I guess it's that like, I feel like the movie made a point of presenting this like unrealistic town as a way to like get around the fact that they were like allowing three drag queens to fix it. I would have liked to have seen that town be like a little bit more realistic because I think that the messages that the drag queens brought to the town were really good. And I would have liked to have seen more realistic characters react to that. Yeah. Counterpoint. Real problems can't be fixed in 36 hours. By drag queens? I don't know. Have we tried it? I mean, let's just try once. Like, okay, drag queens, assemble. We're going to try to fix the U.S. government. We got 36 hours. See how you do. I mean, it couldn't go worse than it's currently going. <laughs> it could not go worse. And I think it could arguably be better. So we've, you know, we've crowned our pageant queen. What are your final thoughts on Tu Wong Fu? I would cheerfully watch this movie again. I really liked it. I've spent a lot of time thinking it through subsequently, and I wish I hadn't been doing that because the joy that I felt watching the film was very pure, and I think I would feel that joy again watching it anytime. So I think this is a movie that you probably don't want to think too deeply about, but 
It's a very fun ride. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It's like sinking into a warm hot tub. It's just mm-hmm. bubbly and comforting. Uh, this was a wonderful excuse to replay a favorite. So with that said, which favorite are we replaying next? So we've kept it pretty light and pretty fun. And we're going to keep it pretty fun, but we're going to go a little bit darker. Uh-oh. And we are going to watch 2014's Gone Girl. Oh, oh. So I think you've seen this movie. Is that right? I have seen this movie one time. Okay. This is our only movie where I think you don't want to know the spoiler if you haven't yet seen it. So if you haven't watched Gone Girl, I'd recommend you watch it by next week. Before we talk about it, we will have a spoiler alert at the top. And we will see you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. There is a real Miss Piggy quality to it that you cannot believe. Oh, no. (laughs) Sorry. I just realized that Jason London is in this movie, not Jeremy London. No. Okay. We're going to record eight different versions of us saying Jason, and then we can just loop them back in. Yep. Uh, Jason London. 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 Can these please be the outro? Is us just like saying Jason London over and over again? Jason London. Jason London. Jason London. Jason London.